Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamond. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. Talk Art Live! We've even got a dog here. We've got we Teddy. Teddy's vocal. Telly. Telly's vocal. Where are we in the world, Robert? We're at Quench Gallery in Margate, which is an artist-run space. Uh, Lindsay Mendick and Guy Oliver were the founders, and they now have a whole extended team of amazing people who are even running education programmes, such as Gemma Farrow, <laughs> who we love. Yeah. And, um, yeah, we're in front of a live audience. And, um, yeah... How are you feeling today, Robert? Today, Russell, I am feeling like a vile diva. (laughs) And it's something that I feel very accustomed to. Um, Because in my childhood, for the first 10 years, the main passion I had was ballet and dance. And it wasn't art, it wasn't music even, it was ballet. How often would you be ballet dancing? twice a week. Really? I took it really seriously and I wanted to go to the Royal Ballet School and um, they told me I was going to be too tall because my dad was six foot two or three and back then you had to like stop growing essentially if you wanted to be a male dancer this is like 1980s um, they wanted you to be probably max about five eight and there was this real strict thing I think it was to do with like classical ballet you know like there were sort of traditions and being tall wasn't a thing is that still the case no no now now there's rebels who have broken all those there's boundaries and um, there are giants yes <laughs> and also but also there's also dance troops now who who or dance groups even who dance like male and male you know uh, gay kind of relationships all the, all yeah, these yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. many pluralities of the way you can exist but back in those days it was like a woman in a tutu and a man who would be the kind of prince you know there was very binary traditional yeah so were you upset when they wouldn't let you continue ballet to be really honest i had a fetish in my childhood of wanting to own (laughs) ballet shoes and um the ones with ribbons and points and it was an obsession to the point where now i look back on it it's like i wanted to have a sculpture of them like i wanted them in the room as an object it wasn't even about wearing them necessarily as well the red shoes shoes. it was actually the red shoes more than kate bush at that point because it's this is the 80s hunt um red shoes came out in like 90s um or late 80s but um anyway Today's guest has made the most extraordinary exhibition. It's their first major exhibition. It includes a whole body of work, um, v- v- variety of works from an amazing film, mm-hmm. which to me is the centerpiece of the whole thing. Also an installation of ballet kind of bars, which you would use to train on. And they brought back so much trauma for me because the precision, <laughs> the kind of the rigor you need to be a dancer, it's one of the most punishing um, art forms there is because there's this real... Um, drive for excellence and I think it's it's really extreme and I'm looking forward to exploring that today but there's also photography sculpture but for me even the sculpture is related to performance so I'm really excited to explore that so we would like to welcome to the stage the one and only Ted Rogers those listening, Ted is actually walking through the crowd to Hi, get to us. Hello. <laughs> How are you doing? Yeah, really good. I'm really excited. Yeah, that was a very lovely entrance. Thanks. I've done it before. <laughs> <laughs> so today's episode is brought to us with We Present, and they're actually going to be uh, streaming your work for the masses. They have like 80 million users every month. So how, how does that feel? I hope they're ready. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, brilliant. I mean, it's... Um, it's quite wild, actually, because because this... I mean, it's not my first time making things, but it's my first time that I've done something, I guess, really under my own name. So it's 
it's it's like a huge compliment and and I'm very excited for people to see it. Yeah, I'm happy with the film, so I'm very excited. And for also, so many it. of us creatives use WeTransfer to like upload all our files. And Literally, it's pretty cool that now when they do that, they're going to be seeing Ted Rogers. Well, I mean, I use WeTransfer all the time, so it would be really nice to see my <laughs> see myself on the internet as I transfer and files. Last to people. year they had Bjork on there, and it, I know you love Bjork, so you're in good company. Yeah, this is a proper gag. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's really good. <laughs> so, what has it been like? doing your first show and you said it was outside of like using your own name yeah it's been insane like um margate is really the perfect place to make a show like that like okay so like uh if you want to make ceramics Lindsay Mendick just lent me a corner of her studio. If the ceramics break, you take them to the ceramics hospital that's on the same road as the paint shop that's on the same... Uh, it's in the same town as the, the wood merchants. Like, it's, it's, re- it's, it's very surreal to, to have so much stuff on your doorstep. And also, like, Margate isn't a big place. It's, like, an old town and a high street. So, it, it, and to have this sort of, like... To even have this many galleries, I think there's like six galleries on North Down Road now. You know, there wasn't, I, I moved here eight years ago, there was not even a coffee shop then. Do you know what I mean? Like it was, it was just a very different place. I moved for the apocalypse. To, so to have this sort of like really full circle experience is, is quite crazy and totally wonderful. Why Margate? Why was Margate the destination? Where was you before? London. Right. And before that, Essex. And I sort of grew up Essex, in... Essex? Yeah, where? yeah. Corringham. Right. I went to a musical theatre college. Oh, Lanes. Performers. Oh, was Lane, it Lanes? Lane, no, Lanes is in Epsom. Right. I got how, into Lanes. How apt. Performers. Exactly. It's literally <laughs> And my email address has performer in it. It's like, <laughs> it's all very performative. So Essex <laughs> to London to Margate, it's the same sort of journey that I've taken. Yeah. Yeah. I love Essex as well, though. Yeah, me too. I didn't, I didn't ever imagine living outside of London once I got to London. But Kent, I mean, Kent, Kent's pretty rad. Like it's 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 quite it's quite a rock and roll county, but I can't imagine living anywhere else in the UK except for maybe Essex. My first experience of seeing you before I even met you mm. was actually like across the road, walking past the library in the centre of Margate, just after the High Street. And I remember actually stopping in my tracks because of the way you looked. Like you just looked so like iconic. What was I You wearing? had like you had bleached Nothing. blonde hair. <laughs> I feel like it was white. I feel like your hair was whiter than now. Yeah. And you were with Jared, your partner, and you were walking together. And I remember just seeing you both and being like who are they and I didn't even know who you were and then when we became friends I realized I actually knew you already because you'd collaborate with a number of other artists mm. in performing within their their films but also in music videos and all kinds of things like that so I kind of was familiar with you already as a presence I feel like you always stood out when I saw you in music videos I mean this is beautiful to hear but like also I don't know I'm inside my own body so I guess I don't see myself <laughs> <laughs> Who were some of the musicians you collaborate with I've just forgotten Oh well so so mainly I used to dance for a choreographer called Holly Blakey That's right who's and she's absolutely in, incredible incredible choreographer someone who really sees you for how you move and, and draws these things out but she I guess she would you would class her as a contemporary choreographer but she worked quite often in music or in fashion so it sort of crossed into these uh i guess for me what feels like more uh, relevant you know it, more maybe more relatable and maybe more accessible uh, forms and um a lot of the time actually we were we were making our own work 
So we, we, you know, we've done we've danced for Florence and the Machine, we've danced for Will Young, but a lot of the time we were we were making shows, and we would always work with musicians for these shows. So we used to work with Gwilym Gold, who's Holly's mm. partner, who's b- beautiful. He's like Incredible, a. Yeah. You know that episode of The Simpsons where Mr. Burns comes out of the woods and he's been like nuclear. <laughs> he's like so ghosty and tall and, and gorgeous and, and, and ooey. And we worked with electronic musicians Dark Star. And then the, the, the people we mainly worked with was, um, was Mika Levy, who wrote the Under the Skin soundtrack. And so. Well, yeah, and yeah. they're also very well known for being a kind of underground independent artist. Uh, Mika's wicked. Yeah. Mika's a funny human. <laughs> <laughs> so you talked about, I just want to go back to moving to Margate eight years ago. How yeah. did you know eight years ago, because now it's the scene here is completely different. How mm. did you know eight years ago that this was somewhere you wanted to settle potentially? So I knew one person at the time, which was Amy Zing. Mm. Uh, and she was like, she was, she's, she's a mother in many formats, but she was one of my like club mums. Uh, she was sort of the person the first person who saw me in East London and was like, you're odd, come and be with us, you know? And she had, she had moved down here. And um, I guess like I was finding, I had very much moved to London, had these incredible queer transformations. And, uh, you know, like before then, I, I was like a suburban kid. I had a very, very tricky time at school. Being gay was extremely difficult and took me a long time to come out and also then I was very homophobic gay for a long time and it wasn't until I moved to London and sort of was like seen by these club people that I had understood any sort of like uh gender as an as an everything do you know what I mean like a really expansive queerness yeah queerness and and I'd never heard the term queer except for like queer eye for the straight guy yeah or or like TV or what yeah it definitely wasn't the understanding that I I now have which by the way is still changing and fluid and and all of the above but yeah basically like Amy had moved here and she was sort of like my other mum my 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 birth mum is here she's in the corner she's excellent Karen hey. <laughs> a real life Karen um I love you mum a good one a good yeah, Karen yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she, she, she's actually free range now okay yeah yeah, yeah. she's retired she's she's off the book <laughs> so she's good Karen. yeah free range Karen Lovely. um <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yes, yeah, so, so Amy had moved here and, and um, I guess two relevant pieces of information. I'm sober and I'm autistic. And uh, London was getting to me. Like I was working in clubs. I loved working in clubs. I was happy to work in clubs, but it had become really unsustainable for me. I wasn't able to make it work financially and I wasn't able to make it work sensorily. Like I was getting really uh, beat down just with like noise and and sort of disrespect in the street and just, you know, that kind of like eternal uh, intensity that London has. I, st- I still sometimes love it, but like it's, it was a lot to live in. So I came down for three days to Margate to stay with Amy. The first day I was like, oh, I just needed a holiday. I definitely don't need to live here. And she was like, oh, but I know these gays who have like a house and like they might have a spare room and the rent's really cheap and they make art. And I was like, no, no, I don't want it. She's like, well, we could look and then you can see you don't have to say yes. And I was like, fine, fine, we'll look, but I don't, don't want to do it. They went so she and, wanted you here then? She wanted, yeah, I mean, she's a very good recruiter. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> for the cult of Margate. Yeah, for the cult of Margate. And um, uh, the second day I went to see this house and I was like, oh, okay, you know, this, this, is, this is workable. And the rent was like 280 a month. And I was like, okay, this is, you know, I might, basically, I wanted financial solvency. <laughs> I, wanted, I wanted to be my own person. I wanted to feel 
grounded. Anyway, so that that was the thing. And by the third day, there was like a magenta sunset and a black lightning storm all in one sky. And I handed in my notice in London the next day and was here a month later. So that that was it. Like that was that's the Margate. That's the Ted coming to Margate story. story. And I think the first three nights I had in Margate, I'd slept better than I had in like twenty years. You know, it was really insane. Like the the sea air, the sort of like, you know, it's very popular now, but it it literally was kind of like, uh, I, when I say the apocalypse, I don't mean like zombies. I mean like sort of emptiness and 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 barren. And it was just very peaceful. And I, I needed that space. I needed that space to figure out what I was doing and, and who I am and, and uh, I'm, a th- I'm a big thinker. I'm an Aquarian. So I, like, I, I need a lot of space, basically. <laughs> How have you seen the art scene grow then? What, what was the first things that came in here? Well, so I'm post-Turner. Right. So there... <laughs> I love it so much. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so it's the Turner Museum, the institution that yeah. is, is Margot's famous. Yeah, yeah, not post Turner, the painter. The painter. Yeah. We're all post Turner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. um, I'm post Turner Gallery, so there was already that. Um, but I th- and, and then you know, there's like the seaside paintingy places in the old town. But for me, I guess it, the, it was the Turner for quite a long time before anything sort of really started to kick off. And um, I don't know, there was like, I feel like there was talk of an art scene long before there was anything that I felt that I could access as an art scene. And I also felt like difficult about the word art for a long time. Like I didn't grow up like an art fan. Like my art fandom is like, um, I don't like, drum and bass or like like mcdonald's or like an experience like for me like that's where like art always what skateboarding you know mcdonald's what do you mean where's the art there i mean how many collabs has mcdonald's done mcdonald's palace currently mcdonald's machine like as in like it's 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 an iconic cultural moment that can be drawn upon it's also incredibly socialist and capitalist at the same time, which I find fascinating. <laughs> like, if you, need a, if you need a clean loo on the motorway, it'll be a McDonald's. If you need 99p food, it'll be a McDonald's. Although they do own, like, the most real estate on the planet, basically. You've got to love a toy from the Happy Meal. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Sorry, we sidetracked. No, but I, I guess, love the sidetrack. I'm, I'm, like, I'm just thinking about I that. I guess, like, art for me always came from, like, music or, like, album right. covers. Right. Or, or I, you know, I wasn't necessarily, like, a... A, a gallery fiend or but like also you spent a long time writing songs as well yeah and still, still do, do yeah, sometimes yeah. yeah so i write poetry and yeah sometimes i collaborate with um a guy called raf who's in a uh well he has his own projects raf rundle but he's also in the two bears which is like a mm. sort of dj oh, yeah, production yeah, yeah. duo with joe goddard from hot chip so yeah sometimes I, I write i write with him in a studio it's like not a main thing yet, but when, I would actually I love to write you, music. I, I sort of saw you as a songwriter almost. And then one day I came around for tea and you have very particular taste in tea, which is like a kind of yogi, kind of mm. uh, meaningful spiritual tea yeah. that you got me into drinking <laughs> yeah. from the grain grocer in Margate when it was the old grain grocer before I'd even been there. OG grain grocer. Yeah, which was your favourite hangout. Was it yeah. bags or loose? 
It was bags. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. They, yeah. And they have proverbs on them that kind of like yeah. enlighten you. Yeah. Give, you would love it, Russ. They helped you. Yeah, they did help me. Look how far <laughs> I came. Because this is pre-talk art when, oh, yeah. we, when we yeah. met. Yeah, post turn pre-talk So literally, you changed my life, Ted. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I remember. I remember sitting in your front room and having a very distinct conversation about your decision that you had to dedicate yourself to focusing. A, on yourself and, and not collaborating with others. Mm. And it was quite a hard thing for you to do because obviously you're getting paid as a performer, all mm. of that stuff. But you felt like Margaret had liberated you and that you wanted to be the artist that you were. And you have since then dedicated all of your time to the pursuit, which has led up to this exhibition, including like studying at Open School East during the COVID pandemic, which yeah. is obviously right. a bit of a harder time to be studying there. Yeah. But but I, I, I'm so impressed by the journey you've taken and the dedication of that decision. How did you come to that? That moment of thinking I have to just stop now doing all the other stuff to please other people I think I was in pain <laughs> pain like pain pain pain's quite a good driver sometimes like you can only deal with so much pain before you realize that you need to make a change and I think I think I think probably like honestly my whole life I've I've felt the need to figure out what I'm making but it is it's very it's it, I mean up until now where I feel like quite like driven by it and I kind of understand the flow of it but like I was petrified of it I think like vulnerabilizing yourself in that way and trying new stuff constantly is petrifying and especially when like as a performer I was working in sort of like qu quite like high-end moments like everything's so incredible that the idea of like going and being a sort of crunchy scrap is horrifying <laughs> it's totally it's totally totally scary to think of starting again so many times but um there seems to have been like a a, a flow recently okay so this is this is cheesy bear with me but it's also really good do you know about the artist's way Yes. yes, amazing book, yeah. Okay, so it's this book. Which like, is always number one, actually. Yeah. Sometimes we're number one. And then, <laughs> and, and then, and then guess what happens? The artist way gets back to number one. I'm always like, what? Maybe I could be number one on two channels. That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> um, the artist way is basically like a, a sort of spiritual art book that is uh, like 12 weeks of art tasks that are essentially therapy that designed to unblock you and reprioritize yourself. And I, I, I didn't do it over 12 weeks. I did it over a year and a half, maybe even, because I was doing other stuff in between. But it, it's really, it's very simple and very profound. And I think that really, in answering those questions, you know, it highlights like who's distracting for you? What are you avoiding? What are you being stingy with with yourself? Like what, what do you need to do in order to prioritize yourself? And then also like, how can you be gentle with yourself as you are becoming your artist? And and so it sort of started with these drawings. So I've, I've drawn I've drawn a lot in my life, but I've never really taken it seriously or, or considered it like my practice, another term that I struggled with up until recently. Practice. Yeah, yeah, because I'm very like multi- so I never really knew what my practice was. I think my practice for many years was like, get work, go to work, die, recover, get work, go to work. Like that, that. so I, I didn't have this idea of like, oh, you know, on a Wednesday, I go and get my inspiration from the Blah Museum. And, you know, I just, I just you know, I didn't like, uh, you know, my re I like reading philosophy, but it's never been like dance related. And I'm also a terrible dance fan. People are like, oh, you know, I went to see this thing. And I'm like... I, I don't know. <laughs> I should, maybe I should know. But I've, yeah, I've always been like 
busy dancing. So, so. But when you said you, you just said you, you, you dance or you work like die then recover. Yeah. What, what, what does that mean? You just you give so much of yourself that you then feel like you can't what get out of bed or you can't think straight and it takes a while to recover to then do the next job. Yeah, I think that's. <laughs> is that still the case or is this artist way then change that? Uh, I th- I think it's still the way it's still the way to some degree. However, doing it for myself is slightly different because then I get to talk about it or I get to continue that practice. Ideally, who who knows? Like, I, it also relies on me either having enough commercial work or like selling enough to be able to afford to continue to make but yeah like I've never not been able to give a hundred I think I'd be really disappointed in myself if I didn't know that I had exerted my full potential into a project I just don't really know how to not do that that might be an autistic thing too though is it because you describe yourself as neuroqueer yeah on your profile which I love yeah is that, is that like a well-known term is that is that like a movement is that a thing I'd say it's still relatively underground right. and, and obviously I didn't invent it. I only heard of it like two years ago because my friend uh, Dre, Dre Spisto, who also lives here mm. uh, and another friend, Danny Spooner, who's a, a, a wonderful model and activist, non-binary, wonderful human. They were putting on a set of neuroqueer workshops. And I guess, I guess like it makes sense. I'm neurodivergent and I'm queer. And there's also a lot of crossovers for me. So for example, like... Uh, as an autistic human, I wouldn't say I have autism. I, I am autistic. I don't have gay. I am gay. You know, it's 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 um, a lot of our value sets are different. And bearing in mind, I can only I can speak in generalizations to some extent, but I also only really speak for myself. And other autistic people are as vast as neurotypical people are. But um, gender is quite typical, I would say, in neurodivergent people to not be as an important. Uh, value system like with like why why gender <laughs> like I can see why gender I can see why the binary like I, I I understand how it functions as a system but it doesn't mean it holds value in my soul like when you free yourself from that it's just like oh god that that was very uh a lot <laughs> you know and there's all this other stuff and I feel more comfortable in this other stuff and and that's better for me. And also things like um, authority and respect as well. Like uh, I think teachers used to find me quite challenging because um, I would ask a lot of questions. I actually got kicked off of my philosophy A-level for asking too many questions. Even I got the highest mark, it's okay, it's the British education system. But um, <laughs> I, 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 it's not that I don't respect people. I really, I actually really respect people, but I'm not going to respect someone who doesn't respect me because someone says respect them what because they're older or because they're in an authoritative position like if if they it, the the thing that lost my respect the quickest was like if someone would like make up an answer like for me it's always okay to not know the answer i love i love not knowing the answer imagine how much freedom there is in not knowing the answer uh but i think like you know i also understand now that I'm an adult, that teachers are under like deadlines and stats and pressures. But as a kid, you don't, you don't, why would you understand that? You know, and, and, and if someone, if you would ask a question and the teacher would clearly make it up or be like, 
you don't need to answer that question. You know, that's irrelevant or you're wasting time. I'd be like, I don't, I'm not trying to. Mm. I'm just trying to understand. But, but I, I think even growing up in the 80s, 90s, early 2000s, there was no discussion really of neurodiversity or any kind of difference. And I think, I think a lot of it was this kind of box that everyone just wanted everyone to exist within, whether it be art, whether it be theatre, whether it be music, all of these genres, everything was so tightly controlled. Yeah. And that's what I think so liberating about now is that it's just shifted so drastically in such a short space of time. Mm. And when I first met you, the thing I kept thinking about all of your talent was how infinite it was and how plural it is and how it's not in a box. It's just this free thing. And, and you, you just want to express yourself and it doesn't matter how you just have to do it in whatever form you're I, I really f- felt that from you as a real force it of energy vital. Yeah. yeah it is, it is. I, can't, I can't I can't I will become very unhappy if I don't and if there's too many blocks to it it's it's incredible it's like physically painful mm. again pain but like it's physically uh frustrating um and I think I think that I didn't because I've danced my whole life, it wasn't until I stopped dancing as much a few years ago that I maybe even realized how vital it was. Because I had always had dance to process that. Like I had never not danced. I've danced since I was three, I'm 31. So probably like danced longer than I knew how to poo properly. You know, it's like, I, I, don't, I don't know what age you potty train at. I mean, it's, but you know, like I never was a Karen, child. Karen, what yeah. age was he? Were they, what age were they potty yeah. trained? Don't remember. Still not. Yeah, yeah. Still not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right, right, right. But yeah, I think like, um, yeah, it's, it's entirely vital. And again, I, I will not not do it fully. I don't agree with that. <laughs> I, you have to. Yeah. We're in your exhibition then at Quench Gallery as uh, Rob introduced himself as a vile diva, which I agree with. Um, <laughs> you've named the exhibition Vile Diva. Yeah. How did this exhibition come about? And... What has it been like having this here and, and bringing it all together? So in the spirit of the artist's way, uh, when Lindsay and Guy came to my house for brunch and uh, were like, you know, maybe you should do a show, the sort of first idea that came to mind was sort of the idea of Vile Diva. And I'd been, so in my lyric writing thing, I had this sort of... Uh, concept of like vicious old soho gays mm. and the ability I love those of, guys. yeah of a mean gay who's lived through a lot of stuff to be able to cut you down just with the spite of their tongue like it's a very specific language that is so incredible and so powerful um that i wanted to yeah, it'd been like milling for a, for a long time. So I think I knew that this was like the subject matter. And also, like, I guess like in, in my experience of art making, ideas pop up from all these like weird places. It's like whack-a-mole. But instead of whacking the mole back down, you sort of like put it in a book and wait until all the the moles gather and then you've got a mole party. I don't know. Like it is a mole gathering. Yeah, the, yeah. Mole, the spiritual moles tell you what's up. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, chatting such shit. Now. <laughs> oh my god. Wait. So you're talking about language though. And, and moles. In the film you made for your graduation of OSE. Yeah. That there was kind of a language within that film and I'm not just talking about a physical language yeah. but there's something about the world of film for you that I think can encapsulate so many of the infinite possibilities of yeah. your creativity which in a way it ties it all together and that's why 
sometimes I, I feel like the films that you're making are just next level because they really have this language of their mm-hmm. own. So can you talk a bit about the language, the spoken language that was in that film, for example? The Risky Business? Yeah. Okay, so Risk, Risky Business was a film I made with my friend, Jess Frankland. Um, and our goal was to remove as many barriers as we could and basically go out in nature and just dance for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. But we would take turns to film each other it was very much like a, it was super lo-fi. We did it on iPhones with waterproof cases on. And, um, but we'd like encourage each other during it. So I guess like that was part of the, the language in it. And we also uh, said stuff. So like dancers on the stage don't say things. <laughs> very odd to me. It's a very sight, like... Eye contact, does it work with eye contact or...? Uh, and and your body like everything's like form and and how you and, and like you know i understand how to like embody movement and yeah. express it but i don't understand why that then means it's cut off from verbalizing and i think often as a dan- dancer you're essentially told to shut up so part like, legitimately like to to shut up and get on with it shut up and do this work harder move your body in this position train harder for this that looks shit do it again you know it it really is that uh, I kind of love it too, you know, hence the vile teeth. We'll get onto it. But like, so yeah, we, we were talking too. So like, uh, there's this bit in uh, one of the sections of the film where like, I, I'm like coming up and I say like, I'm, I'm coming up. Like, so there's all this sorts of like, it's almost like speaking in tongues or allowing yourself to sort of like go at it. And then um, Jatem by Serge Gainsbourg comes on and I'm mm. in this dirty puddle with a pink knitted sweatshirt, sort of just like wiping mud on my face and speaking really terrible franglais. And, you know, it's quite <laughs> on the edge, like, you know, it's maybe it's not okay, but it was, it's allowing yourself to just, just emote. It's not even really words. So that was really the language. That I felt I think like it was, was like a rejection of the system somehow. And then also a celebration of you as individuals, like the two of you and the freedom of, of, of what we all possess within us and freeing yourself somehow. We were definitely trying to free ourselves. Also, because every time we were trying to make inverted commas an art, it, it would, we would get stuck. So instead of, because we know, we know, like we, we can post analyze and say, yeah, it's about divergency. Yeah, it's about catharsis. Yeah, it's about physicality. Yeah, it's about all these things. But every time we tried to like plug that in as like a a, a point to follow, it mm. we would just get all like bogged down in it. And also like we were trying. It was the first time I'd ever like applied for things like money or or grants. And uh, every time we applied for them, we'd just get bogged down because you get stuck in this like. It just feels very like not art making. At least we were attempting to liberate ourselves. You know, no, I don't think anyone's ever entirely liberated. That we live in a world with like forces, but yeah, it was definitely a, a goal to free ourselves, and we did. We did, and we did reach like actual like experiential ecstasy, and also again a lot of pain. And and it took quite like it took at least a week and a half, maybe two weeks, to sort of recover. How long was you dancing for then? varied but like a solid three to four hours just improv just sort of like letting the movement happen yeah like you said speaking tongue sort of thing like Mm. a like a existential primal definitely but but we'd also choose tracks so i had like i have a mega boom 
uh, which is waterproof. It's great, and you can, it's so so it. Or, which is a speaker for yes, people who don't. Yeah, know. sorry. It's a <laughs> it's a very effective portable speaker. So we would choose because music is completely like like I can't not with music as well. It's like I can't not make the most. I can't if the right music comes on. I can't not uh, feel it. I feel it again physically. Wow. So so we would choose music that was very um, making us feel on those given days and play that how many days would you do then we'd only go for like one trip at a time we treated them like mini expeditions because our our ultimate dream goal was basically to do like a a north face campaign and get like red bull to pay us to go up a mountain or something (laughs) and that was literally like because i like i like extreme sports as well so that was sort of like we both were just like let's manifest a north face campaign let's go on a proper expedition so we were doing these sorts of micro kent expeditions and it was in lockdown so we weren't supposed to really drive there but we were literally going into the middle of nowhere it was probably safer for us to be in the middle of nowhere than it was to like be in a house how long is this film the duration of the film then so it's in four sections it's quite lengthy it would be it would be like watching like a a really intense last one trip it's like it's like there's this 18 minute section 80 18 like 18 then like a 12 but then like a 45 and then like an interlude. It's a uh, Tedathon. Yeah, yeah. Well, and Jess, like actually, and Je- Jess. Jess is Ted and Jessathon. Jess, Jess's sections are longer than mine, and <laughs> Jess, Jess was like sort of the prime. Uh, you know, we started these things, and then we went to this one place called Devil's Kneading Trough, which is like a pretty. It's in the Kent Downs. Wow. And it's just it's just a it's a, it's a valley, uh, but it was rainy, and she really went for it on that day. She really. <laughs> Like the first thing she did, I think, was just shove her hand in a puddle and like slap it on her face. And I was just like, okay, this is like, but I can't, like if someone one up, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna one up them again. Yeah. So, so we stepped up our own ladder of sort what of- What was your one up to that? Um, where did we, well, that's when we went to the woods and did right. that, that Jetem moment. And I, I really basically bathed in the puddle <laughs> um, and splashed about for a long time long time but basically also they the the sections are performances alone so i don't know like this might be a subject for another day but i care about performance in film like i don't although my film in this valdiva show is quite cut we didn't make cuts in that film because our goal was to legitimately perform like in the golden age of hollywood in like singing in the rain like people rehearse and they dance and they film it like they have to do, they actually have to have the skills. They have to be good enough to put on a show that you can perform. Whereas like nowadays, there's a lot of sort of effective filmmaking you can do with all these sorts of small details of people just, I can't show you on a mic, but like being a bit liminal mm-hmm. and then cutting it together and everyone's like, oh, it's so beautiful. But I miss, I miss when people really perform. Not like action cut, and what you're seeing there is the real deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like you know, have you you know the square, that gorilla scene. Yeah, you yeah. know, as controversial as intense it is, comes out. Yeah, yeah, but he he did it. Yeah, he yeah. actually did that as a performance. It was horrific. Yeah. yeah, it was horrible. Yeah, and like Dennis Levant in like Tokyo or Holy Motors has this incredible character that does these like long rampages, <laughs> but they're amazing. Yeah. They're amazing. And like the opening scene of Climax, that Gaspar Noe film, that's the rest of the film is pretty horrific and I actually had to turn it off halfway through. But that opening scene, even though there's cuts in it, they have these long, 
periods of dance and like one shot month like I do it's just insane the following of the action and I I love that I get high on that it's nice to perform and it's nice to watch yeah well, it's real yeah exactly. it's real so you said that as a dancer you got told to shut up a lot and, and insulted <laughs> I assume yeah uh, there is an amazing work in here which is basically a ballet bar which Rob found triggering but halved <laughs> within within the ballet bar, ballet bar is is lots of insults yeah and I, I find this work kind of I think you've described it as having hateful humor yeah uh, it's funny but it's also quite painful yeah and can we talk about that work and what what these words all mean and where they've come from yeah okay <laughs> it's totally nasty I mean okay so so um so another thing to say about this work is that I asked friends who maybe had some shared experiences to join me on this work so it's not all they're not all from my experiences. I had maybe a solid 10 phrases that I knew I wanted absolutely to be like the title phrases that I wanted to be on the bars. But then I sort of opened it up after that and said, they have to be things that were said to you that were stagey. And, you know, stagey comes with the sort of the, the taste of like sa sassy, rude. It's aggressive feminine. And actually, I, I, I would like to talk about the feminine at, at some point, but like it's aggressive and it's feminine, you know, and that, that is important. So the, the first phrase is um, put that blanc mange away. <laughs> and this is what my ballet teacher at dance college used to say to me as she slapped my stomach after lunch. And a blanc mange for anyone who doesn't know is basically like a wobbly milk jelly from France. <laughs> So, <laughs> and a great band in the 80s was it yeah oh my no someone sent me the Lolo yeah. sent me the link to that yeah was, they're amazing yeah they are good actually mm. so yeah that was like the first <laughs> and was that upsetting at the time or did you find it funny think... was it done in a sort of like humorous way or, or was it done it in, a, brutal. in a bullying way this is the difficulty of dance like was it enjoyable is it gaslighty like I don't know because you're, you're, you're you sort of and, and th this okay so this is also like why I'm enjoying art. It's muggy. I don't know. Like, I don't know if, if, yeah, it was definitely bullying, but it was definitely sassy and maybe there was some love with it. But also, yeah, it's, it's absolutely disgusting thing to say to a person, but now I can make a show about it. So, and, th and that's maybe where like the vile divaness comes yeah, in. Yeah. And then like one of the other things is um, there's more energy in a morgue. <laughs> and, uh, it has to be said like that I had another a, a jazz teacher and um, oh god she was amazing she's iconic she's probably still teaching um, <laughs> I'm not going to name her but she she used to demand that you wore tights as sleeves and she was so confused if you did not understand this as like a standard concept <laughs> she'd be like why have you not got your tights on and you'd be like I do she's like no as your sleeves <laughs> and it's, it's, it's so surreal but this is dance and, and people take it really really damn seriously but she would she would sometimes just like swoop into the room on a given day and like read everyone to filth you know and she and she would come in she would come in and she would say there's more energy in a morgue and she'd walk out she'd come back 50 minutes later when she felt like it you know and then another, another thing she said was um which is on the bars is um the train has left the station and you're not on it <laughs> she, you know they i think like dance is so competitive that they just really wanted to hone the message that like you have to really want to do this yeah, yeah. and you have to be hard you know you have to be hard you have to want to do this but it's also it's very punishing but it's also it, it elevates everything there's something about that that 
dark energy of those teachers that actually means that you you get excellent do you know what i mean you you, you excel sometimes do you what, have any insults well babes i i was just told i was um too big all the oh, time yeah. right. constantly which mm. still to this day is with me every time i look at myself in the mirror and and i had achilles tendons problems and that just was like unacceptable but it was Absolutely like that's not my fault i know but it's like <laughs> people were like making me hang off the edge of stairs to try and like not have the sever i had something called severs disease in my achilles tendon where they grow far slower than you grow so you grow really fast but your your tendons don't grow so the teacher was like well you just need to hang off the side of of stairs of a and building just, yeah, you know, but, no yeah. but literally like yeah and probably fall. more effective uh, probably actually yeah that, that would have yeah. been very effective but it was like the idea you have to like just fix that problem yeah in order if you want to keep dancing yeah it was quite, quite hardcore but anyway the point is if if the people that survive it mm. end up to become such an, another level of excellence yeah, yeah. yes and no i so i, I like as as a professional dancer and mm. someone who's lived this, I don't agree that that has to be the method. No, 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 I'm, I'm, not, I, I'm not condoning it either. Yeah. I, no, no. I, <laughs> I, it, it can be effective, but also, like, my mental health is still pretty destroyed, not just from that, but, like, from that kind of attitude. Mm. And sure, sure, it's given me this sort of, like, insane drive but it also means that I can never relax. You know, I have to do a lot of work on myself to be able to relax. And I also think that you don't, I've, I've experienced uh, environments where you don't have to treat people like that in order to get excellent results. I actually don't respond well to being told I'm shit all the time mm. because that happened for many years at school. And so I just believe it. So if someone down, like steps me down, it doesn't work. I just end up feeling downtrodden. Mm. So actually it's not, that effective for me and I like when when I so like I work as a movement director commercially now it's sort of a new development in the last three to four years but my approach although I can still be strict and extremely precise because that's what is required for a lot of work and for a lot of film and you know it's time is money and and you're on these big sets with like 80 to 100 people like it's it's a bit it's a big deal but my belief is that you can achieve that with encouragement and, and you know, putting on the music that makes people feel good or making sure that people are fed or making sure that, mm -hmm. you know, they're wearing the outfit that makes them feel ecstatic instead of the outfit that makes them feel miserable. And the, I, I just don't believe that it's that that is actually necessary for excellence. It's like a fear based excellence, which mm. is unsustainable. Like most dancers quit at some point. I don't understand why we're not seeing 60-year-old dancers. I don't understand. I don't believe that the industry has to be that way, that everyone dies at 30 or that their career is over yeah. at 24. It, it just, I, I think it's rubbish and it's just it's rubbish. It's boring, actually. Mm. Mm. I would love, love to see 40-year-olds getting their life, 50-year-olds getting their life, 80-year-olds getting their life, and for that to be a huge part of the industry and for people to be doing sustainable work and being paid throughout that and it continuing to express themselves. Like why does expression end at 24 for a dancer? It's ridiculous. I'd love you to take an 80 year old to that devil's knuckle bridge. Oh yeah. And just set I them love off. the devil's <laughs> knuckle bridge. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the installation here of the three bars, yeah. cause it's three separate works which join up and become one in this show. Yeah. Um, I, I, I love it sculpturally. 
as an installation. And mm. I actually said to you after the show, I almost felt like that could have been the show on its own. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's something I like about it because there, there's no presence. The, 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 sorry, the, the visitor becomes the performer almost because as a visitor, as a viewer, you're walking in and it's almost like you're being invited to practice because you see ballet shoes hanging off, yes, I think, yes, one of yes. them. Yeah. And there's this like emptiness to the space that suddenly the, the work comes alive and activated. And I found it quite terrifying, and I because right. yeah, because I haven't I haven't been there <laughs> yeah. since I was ten years old. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It was like quite a shock for me. Yeah. But I love it as an installation. Was that something you considered? No, I just I I, I hadn't. I do care greatly about space, but I hadn't considered it on on that level. Um, it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't like a. I can be really manipulative with performance, and I do think that that's it. But no, I hadn't. I hadn't considered it. Talk about that then. Manipulative with performance. What does that mean? Uh, are all performances a manipulation, I think. I don't think it's uh, always a, a bad manipulation. But for me, like, mastery of audience. Li- if you're doing live, and actually for me this does sort of... Uh, film is quite different in how you look and how you come across. Um, so it's slightly different, but it can still be applied. But like, if you're going to perform live, you know immediately if someone makes you feel held or threatened or whatever. Whereas if you get sort of a performer who is unsure of what they're doing, mm. then they're not going to be able to manipulate you and then you don't really enjoy it. Mm. Like, I think, I honestly think like audiences are there to experience some degree of a manipulation. That mm. for me is what performance is. It's a, it's a form of manipulation. So, like, for the performance I did to open TKE... This uh, is called Valentine. Val- Valentine. And that's yeah. Tracy Emin's foundation yes. in Margate. Um, uh, Which went viral. Yeah, it was great. It was, it was wicked, actually. I'd, I'd, again, and I'd not really done a choreography for myself before, so that was very daunting. But, um, and again, even though I don't agree with the sort of force, forcibly excellence thing, I knew that there was a deadline and a show that I had to do good at. <laughs> So it did make me make something that I wanted to be proud of. Um, but th- basically that show is one long manipulation. Exactly. And Telly is now manipulating the audience oh, as dogs running do. Running very dramatically <laughs> through the center of the audience. Love that. Um, but yeah, that, I guess like in a sort of meta sense, it, it, was, a, it was a performance about like, love hate um and manipulation so it begins there's two mirrors either side of a long room there's chairs along either side so it feels like a catwalk and you sort of walk into this space that already feels a bit like edgy and showy because that's what catwalks are and um uh i'm sat in the audience dressed in burnt unitards and handbags and and a dirty feet and and maybe I look like I'm from fashion, you know, sort of <laughs> mood <laughs> I love to that it. Like yeah. I might actually dirty feet just, fashion. Yeah, yeah, well, I might actually just be part of the audience because people at catwalk shows are unreal um, <laughs> and amazing. But like, to- yeah, you, you, that could be uh, a reality. Um, and basically, it starts, and no one really knows when it starts, and it's all a bit ambiguous. But there's a drum kit at the end of the room. And then eventually, um, my friend Jimmy, uh, who's such a beautiful human, but so not that art world shiny person. He's this like introvert, quiet, deeply knowledgeable rock 
kid. Like he's really legitimately like one of these like proper music heads. He can play so many different things, but he's you know he's he's a, he's a raw human, but he's vulnerable, and so he sort of like has to do this catwalk across the room, and then he just sort of cracks out this massive drum solo because people love entertainment. So it's like we should entertain the the people. Um, <laughs> and that's and I sort of we, we pretend that that's the performance, and we start clapping, and and then I get up and make sure that everyone claps for quite a long time, and I just walk around the room clapping, making sure that everyone's clapping, so that you don't stop clapping. But because I'm clapping, you know it's time to clap. You know, you're sort of really <laughs> making sure that people are clapping um, until I until I feel that I've created enough space that I can sort of like. And then the performance starts. Do you know what I mean? So like, you have to sort of like carve out. That was very manipulating just then. So manipulative. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we all file. <laughs> <laughs> As a viewer, because I saw that performance, yeah. it felt very like heraldry somehow, because obviously it was the opening of a new era, a new space, a new art centre. Yeah. But also there was this idea of the bull ring for me. Like it made me think about, you know, because I know it's like obviously... Um, animal rights and all of that, that stuff with bulls but, but but the thing is the actual history of it there is like an art form to the bull, bull ring and yeah. bullfighting yeah, yeah. Um, and it really made me think about that when we were the all matador, circular yeah. yeah because we were we were kind of surrounding you like yeah. as an audience and it was in the round I guess like I uh, it was definitely Pompey do you mm. know like it was it was it was purposefully performative like pomp and ceremony yeah yeah, yeah. exactly and and but also for me, I guess I'm I'm practicing having my anger, uh, and I'm practicing being pissed off, and that being good, mm. and that being valuable. And so for me, like uh, it might have been heraldry, but it was also sort of like semi-hateful. <laughs> but it's hateful in a way that you have to ride the line because no one wants you to be actually hateful because that's kind of miserable. And I, I've, you know, I've seen actually hateful performances and it always leaves you feeling like not very good. Mm. Like I don't want people to remain feeling not good, but I do want them to experience some of the like exciting threat that exists when you're a performer. Is this a performance that you can repeat or is, do these things exist? You know, if they film it fine as an archive, yeah. but do they exist as like a happening quite Bauhausy? If you were there, you saw it. If you weren't, you'll never see it again. Um, I have several answers to this question. Okay. Um, uh, one is that I definitely only want to perform if it's for the right moment and in the right space. Like I'm not, I'm not gagging to perform anymore. Like it's quite right. exhausting and quite an effort. But if the moment is right and I know that it's going to do enough of a thing, then I will give myself to it and this was one of those moments i was like well this is you know <laughs> this is maybe a good time to put something out it is transferable but it would have to be for the right thing so like red bull and north face or something a hundred percent i would like to do this on the airstrip at Courcheval. right that'd be great um yeah so it is it is transferable but yeah like essentially i'm not going to do it for zero money and drag people along and pay them nothing and get myself exhausted if I don't think it's going to have some sort of value that's going to come back. That may sound transactional, but unfortunately the world requires 
that we live in capitalism like yeah this. but also you need to protect your artistic energy exactly in order to do something that's fruitful for you to continue as yeah. an artist and, totally and my health yeah so yeah. even though i'm manipulating it's still like a huge i i i will always probably give more than the audience mm. will mm. um but the other part of that is this is another reason why I started to work in film more. And it's another huge motivation for doing a show, an art show, as opposed to a live show, was to put my movement into other forms. Like, this show can be here and I don't have to be here. Like, the photos exist now. You can see the movement in the photos. You can see the performance in the photos. And we shot them as a performance. You so, did, yeah, right? so the performance happened. And it was basically, that's basically documentation of a performance, even though I knew I wanted photos. So after, so basically I wanted to get this image of, this didn't happen to me, but this happened to like the generation of teachers above me, is that uh, ballet teachers would use cigarettes to improve your turnout or like to push you into position. So like they would burn your knee to, to get... Sorry? <laughs> what do you mean? They what would the use the heat of a cigarette to push to push your, your leg into the correct position or to lift your arm into the correct position. This is like a, yeah, I, dance is hella abusive. Like it's, it's, it's this is, I'm not This even, can't still be going on anyway. I, I, maybe not in English, I don't know. I don't know. It probably is somewhere, but I don't know. I highly doubt they're using cigarettes at after school dance clubs now. <laughs> <laughs> But I've had jazz shoes thrown at my head. Like, I'm only 31, you know, I'm, not, I'm like not, oh, it wasn't that long ago. And like, I've had, like, if you haven't done a split leap high enough, people will throw a shoe at you to get you to jump higher. Anyways, <laughs> this is why we make art. We need to get it all out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and what, yeah. What, what was the phrase about the foot when it's in Oh, good position? toes, naughty toes. Oh yeah, good toes, naughty toes. Yeah, I good toes one. is basically like perfectly broken feet in a point and naughty toes is flexing. Although contemporary dance loves a flexed foot, it's sort of become tropic. We won't go into that now. That's, that's some shade. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, so basically I wanted to capture this image, but I was getting really bored at the idea of setting up this photo shoot that was just like me in a room trying to get this image. I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be bored. Uh, and I'd just done the, the, the Valentine show. And... Um, I was like, okay, I need to do something live. And I've also been really, like, I'm, I'm, I'm a kid who grew up on, like, uh, emo and metal and jungle and basically, like, quite intense uh, underground music. And I, partly because of Jimmy, the drummer, and partly because it was already a bunch of bands that I knew, but I didn't know what culture they belonged to, I got into DC Hardcore, which was, like, Black Flag and Bad Brains and... Mm. Uh, uh, minor Threat and it was sort of like all these wicked bands who were like super uh, political in the 80s and still exist. I'm wearing, wearing a black flag t-shirt now, but um, you know, the energy was basically like punk weirdos who were actually nice people. So I've been trying for years to find ways to combine like the high, high uh, agro femme queerness with the sort of DC hardcore mosh pit-y dirty basement loudest thing mm. and so this photo shoot was a good opportunity to do that so i asked jimmy to come back and play guitar live for like three hours whilst we did this shoot and i invited several of my friends and peers one of them's in the room now tolu miss honey revlon <laughs> um to 
come and dress up as me as a vile diva because that's pretty rude to ask everyone to just be versions of yourself and mm-hmm. um to essentially like live movement direct the room for three hours three hours yeah i mean that's not even that long it's totally was it it was all right wasn't it yeah, we and had the person photo- photographing it is a biker friend of yours. <laughs> yeah, so, so my friend Peter, so this is another like Margate magic moment, right? My friend Peter, he, he does a lot more than bikes. He's also an incredible photographer, uh, a journalist, um, uh, a frame builder, uh, uh, cinematographer. cinematographer. <laughs> he literally is like a polymath, excellent weirdo who is sort of my favorite people um my partner even calls him my other boyfriend he's not a homosexual but you know we spend a lot of time together and uh we play bike polo together you had a a shared shared love of bikes though yeah we have a shared love of bikes this is not bmx's is it uh, like peter builds really odd bikes but i grew up on like mountain bikes like down downhill and again like this is what i was saying about the extreme sports earlier like anything that i could jump off or down or over I was a total adrenaline junkie. Like, if I could get adrenaline, I would find a way to get it. And as a kid, bikes is quite like, yeah, yeah. lost kids have bikes. Mm. So yeah, Pete, so so also Peter had to dress up as me and so did Jimmy. And then uh, Sean Goldring, who's uh, another excellent artist and musician who lives locally, but basically does like sound for a lot of the local music venues, also came and... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, we sort of had this like chaos shoot that was really uh, sexy and weird. And we had to like, as a group, get into good toes, naughty toes situations or like um, uh, do ballet bar, but on these Bentwood Thonic chairs, which are an iconic chair. Another thing that features quite heavily in the show and in dance are these chairs. But yeah, it was basically like I wanted a live process to capture this energy. I didn't want to make a sort of deadbeat image. I was like, how am I going to make an image? And for me, the, the most intuitive way to make an image was to make a happening and capture images. Mm. And are these additions, these images? Because they're quite big yeah. as well, aren't they? Yeah, they're, they're like uh, editions of five. Okay. Yeah, they're like B0. So they were sort of as big as the G-Clay could get on the local printing service that's just around the corner in Cliftonville that's really high quality. <laughs> <laughs> you are uh, a performance artist in residence now at the... TKE yes. school was you that before you did the Valentine it's not the school though it's the studios oh the studios was you that before you did the Valentine performance or did that come off the back of that came off the back of Valentine and what does that mean to be performance artist in residence petrifying no it's, it's absolutely wonderful so it basically means I have space so so I had a, oh my god I had a debate not a debate with Tracy <laughs> this is Tracy Emin this is yeah. Tracy Emin uh I applied for one of the studios as a professional artist and I had already heard that it probably wouldn't happen because Tracy didn't necessarily want movement in the space because she was concerned about noise and also that that wasn't really the space for that. And I was like, sure, fine, that's totally within her remit. I respect that. Mm. But then Rob and Carl at Lindsay's final performance of Off With Her Head last year were like, oh no, you, you just definitely have to ask her. And they kind of sat me with her. And this was, I guess, like the first time that I'd actually really had a conversation with her. And I, I'm like, I'm not beggy. Like I didn't, I was essentially trying to avoid the hype. And, you know, she's a human and it's a small town. Like there's a lot of sort of sensitive. Yeah. And and anyways, we ended up having like a really nice conversation about it. And and 
blah, blah, blah. Anyways, time goes on. We connected over Juicy Couture and talking about Botox, to Botox or not to Botox. And, you know, all of these like wicked things, essentially just at Margate parties, at Lindsay's dinner parties or at Christmas parties, whatever. And at one Christmas party, she was like, I can't do the Tracy voice. Well, she slaughtered me. No. Um, She was like, oh, I think you should do... We've all got a Tracy voice. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Oh, we love, love it. We all love her. We all do. We oh, all have the same really one. Good. Um, <laughs> but she was like, oh, I think you should do a performance. And, and I was a bit like, wah, wah, wah. also because I feel really weird about making performance. And, and, and basically, you know, she was quite adamant that I should do a performance. And then she told all her friends I was doing a performance. And I was like, well, I guess I'm doing a performance. <laughs> but I was like, okay, well, and also, this is amazing. Do you know what I mean? Like, what, what a privilege to, to, to have someone really, really want you to do a thing. And I said, like, I need space for two weeks because I don't want to rush building this. And I need to make noise and for it to not be an issue. So she gave me space in TKE Studios to make the performance. And she gave me total trust. It was incredible. She didn't question a thing. The only thing she questioned was the mirrors, but I was going to paint the back of them anyways. And then we painted them and they looked very chic. Mm. And I would not have wanted those ugly mirrors in there without painting them anyways. <laughs> Got it. And then after that, I think, she, you, you know, like I drew a good crowd, like it, huge crowd. It's Margate. It's just like, you know what it is Mar- though? I think Margate. it's also a thing about intention. And I think, Tracy could see from the performance that you're an artist. Yeah. And I think what Tracy didn't, pro- I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm not speaking for her. This is just my interpretation of it. But I can imagine it's like, that's an art center. And Tracy takes art so seriously, yeah. as she should. And I think that's also what it was. And I think the performance you did was an artwork, you know, and I think mm. she saw that. Yeah. We all saw that. Well, and she also like uh, uh, permissioned me. Not that I yeah. need permission, but it's, it's always encouraging. She was like, I want you to make art art Mm. is how she described it Mm. and I was like okay well you're gonna get art art you know and that was wonderful to be to be have the agency or the yeah to to be I guess it was more like encouragement than permission but for someone to to sort of like see to be seen by anyone is incredible and this is another reason why Holly was so good for me because she really saw me Mm. you know some people assume you or some people think that they see you or tell you how they see you but some people really see you. And I think that Holly really saw me. And I think that Tracy is seeing me. You know, it's current. It's still ongoing. And You and still have a space there. Yeah, so yeah. I have it for the year. I have it until next March. And part of the remit is that I make two more performances. Great, mm. can't wait. So there will be a performance in December. Woo. Unless the world blows up. Which might happen, uh, but there'll still not. be performing. Yeah, yeah, there'll still yeah. be. There's show must go on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that is not on the bars. Yeah, yeah. Where's the, the compasses? Must... We need to scratch that in immediately. The show must go the on. The show must go on. You know um, that I walked past the other night and I saw some windows open in the giant exhibition room, and it was probably like seven thirty p.m. So it wasn't that late, but I was like oh no, someone's left the windows open. So I called everyone I could think of because they were all on holiday. And I got through to Jack and I was like, Jack, someone's left the windows open. What's going on? And, and he was like, oh no, it's Ted. It's Ted's room. Ted, Ted's performing, uh, rehearsing in there. Yeah. And I was like, oh, thank God. But I was terrified. Yeah. But- <laughs> <laughs> it is the most luxurious thing. Like Margate doesn't have a dance space. Mm. It has many art studios of many different kinds. But unfortunately for dance, you need floors. You need warmth. You need light and you need speakers. You, Warmth. Yeah, of course you do. Yeah, like you can't, like, 
the idea that a, a dancer can take over sort of just like any space and make it a dance space, I think is 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 troublesome because we will just destroy our bodies on broken concrete and cold warehouses. Like it doesn't, you know, and like this is even the way that you need to like use the loo. Like when you work out, when you're doing something athletic that is also an art, you just need, you kind of need that space. And, and you know, even though uh, the space in TKE isn't, like made for dance it's pretty much made for dance mm. like it's on the first floor so it's not concrete floor so there's a slight spring it's a lino that's hard wearing and doesn't destroy your feet it's got this beautiful skylight running the whole way down like it's incredibly incredibly luxurious for me to have this space it's kind of insulated as well isn't it so yeah. it's got a warmth to it i mean if anything it's very warm yeah too warm yeah but there's fans and there's open windows and also like hence the open windows that i saw yeah <laughs> i was witness that you are rehearsing do you there. know what this performance will be in december have you already sort of got it in your mind's eye i have an idea great i will not reveal too much it will be somewhat participatory oh great yeah a word which fills me with fear <laughs> and it fills a lot of people with fear uh but i want to not always center myself in the work like my part of my passion right now i love doing movement direction i love discovering how i can interact with others and essentially get them to do what i want <laughs> but whilst they're enjoying it you know again it's part of the it's part of the manipulation like and 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 my experience of it so far is has been really positive like no one's come to me and said, oh, you're such an asshole. I hate how you dealt with me. You know, mostly people have come and been like, that was so fruitful or that was so, that like, thank thank you for treating me that way. Or, you know, so I want to do this. This is- but You've had such an experience that you don't want to hand on that misery. You don't want to pass that on. You've learned, yeah. you said the buck stops here. I'm not going to do that anymore. And this is how I'm going to- Are you able to do that to yourself though? Like to be oh, kind gosh, and big question. No, because like for example, in the film Valdiva, yeah, you give an extraordinary performance. Yeah, Lindsay's favorite word that I say. What were you saying to yourself? It's uh, it's harder. I like actually having someone else direct me. I find it really hard to dance alone. And even building that Valentine performance, I had a lot of peers come through and assist me. It was not absolutely not a work solo. Basically, like anyone who does anything in movement even near Margate, came through that room. Pierre, with the good hair, movement by Pierre, who lives here. Uh, Dre, Spisto again, my friend Beach, Beach McNeil, who I've been working with. Loads, loads of people came through during that process and assisted. So, but yeah, it, during the film, I have to get myself into a place. That's quite ambiguous, but I have to get my, I have to uh, duration myself or exhaust myself before I stopped thinking too much about it. So I made a choreography for that film as a tool to get to that. Mm. But I always knew that I wanted to do something beyond the, the choreography. I wanted to show both something that was tight and something that was really uh, uh, mental and, 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 and expulsive and expressive. So you have to, I guess this is like a real dancer thing. Anyone who's da dance dances like professionally and knows that, level of thing that you have to work through to get to the next thing like essentially like exhaustion and duration are really useful tools this was also a thing that holly used to always say but like everything that comes after exhaustion is usually more exciting 
Oh, wow. So you exhaust yourself and then the good stuff comes and then you keep going. And that's the dancer thing. Then you keep going, then you keep going, and then you push it. that's why you die afterwards. That's why you... Yeah. Right. And it's my, almost removing the layers, no? It, yeah. Because like in the scene where you're in the bathroom, yeah. you seem quite really broken. And mm. Like there's this real depth of emotion psychology. Okay, so that's, that's even harder because that... So uh, it's like not a wrap-up topic, but basically like part of the... Uh, idea for the film was that I wanted to find a way to have a sexy seizure so as an autistic person I get when I have extreme overwhelm I fit and it's a horrible thing to experience it's completely it's awful and it can be aggressive and it's you know it's the it's the sort of like it's one of the parts of autism that makes us harder to interact with and easier to demonize and and all of this stuff but it's a thing that I live through in an experience and it's ugly so how do you deal with ugly things? You you either make them sexy, because that's how people like to look at things, or you make them like valuable. So I wanted to, so the, the the bathroom scene was was sort of the core motivation for the film. All of the stuff before was just a way to get to that. Oh wow. So like that that wasn't even like a movement task. That was I know I know uh even though I sort of like lose my mind when I'm having a fit, I know what it feels like to have a fit. So I knew that I was the person to perform the fit. I'm not going to employ someone to perform a fit who hasn't had a fit, but I can have a fit. So I'm basically having a fit. So that was really, that's really hard. But it's my work. So I'm, I'll give myself to do that for my work because it's my, it's why I'm here in life is to talk about that. Like, it, like, oh God. I truly do want to change the world. Like it's always, always, everyone's like, oh, you can't change the world. And I'm like, I will change the world. I believe that you can even do that through entertainment. And so for me, yeah, like I need, I needed, I needed to be the person who performed that. And yeah, that was at the end of the day. So I was already exhausted and I had performed like another three characters prior to that. But also, like, I'm I'm trained for that. Like, I can mm-hmm. do a, a 16 hour day, quite not easily, but like I know how to do it. That's what we do. Well, so, to me, you sound like a true artist. So that's beautiful. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, before we get into our final questions, I want to talk about something else that went viral this weekend. It was just been Margate <laughs> Margate Pride here, and there's an image of uh, you know Dame, a Dame uh, yeah, a photograph of Dame Tracy M in, and you're bent over. The back of her in arseless chaps uh, <laughs> as part of the Pride Parade. Can we just talk about that image? Your bum has gone global. Your bum has is everywhere. Oh god, I'm always trying to escape my bum going global. But every time <laughs> I post a picture of my Tell bum, it gets it. popular. Yeah. <laughs> Instagram loves faces and bums. It doesn't care about official art. It just, just wants. <laughs> it just wants ass. Like, um, Note to artists. Yeah. <laughs> that honestly just happened because we were having a nice time. <laughs> Like it was like okay so like I I got I get really petrified for pride because it's a lot of people coming to our town like it's a lot of expectation like I want to look good that's stressful and then like there's loads of events to go to in the day and like it's basically like a lot of over socializing for me anyways I we did the morning had a really pleasant morning went to the bandstand watched you both judge the mixed market competition which was wonderful. <laughs> Uh, and I felt really in the mood and like people were showing up like they were doing what queer people do they were being the most they were giving it even the introvert queer people give the most like we that's our job sometimes on pride is basically to like get our lives because for the rest of the year it might be more dangerous to get your life 
So I felt really inspired and I and near the end of the mixed market competition, I was like to my partner, I was like, darling, I'm wearing too much. I need to go and change into something <laughs> sluttier for the parade. Because usually I do, but then then you, you like, you know, it's really hard getting a lot of attention. So you have sometimes you just wanna not. Anyways, course, yeah. I went to get in an outfit that would get me more attention. And then we did the parade and I and I spent most of the parade like because we didn't have any music, just like catching up with all my mates. <laughs> sort of like sauntering through. Anyways, it got to the end of the parade and I literally like, I saw Lindsay. You can't not see Lindsay because she wears this wonderful chartreuse crossover lamb lime color with the blue hair. Yeah, I did listen to your talk episode. Um... <laughs> Um, but it is chartreuse. It's not yellow. I don't care what anyone says. It's not yellow. It's 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 lamb line chartreuse. I just ran into them. You know, we hang out. Like it's it's this is our this is our community. Like yeah. it might seem ridiculous, but this is this is our community. These are our lives. Like, and this is why it's nice to be seen by other artists, whether it's Tracy Emin or not. It's she's an artist. She does this. She's done this. She lives it. And she definitely saw you that day. Yeah, and like... <laughs> I was with her. I saw her so, response so to your does, look. <laughs> so, so does Lindsay. Like, so, so, you know, like, it's, it's just like to be held, to be held like this in, in to be encouraged like this is really fucking special. Anyways, Rana Tracy, obviously we need to do something sexy because she was wearing these cunt Vivian Westwood glasses that are just like, oh God, they're, they're so ridiculous. They're like butterflies, but way sportier and then you know she she had like taken her what was she wearing like shorts off or what yeah, she basically she had a very short shirt a t-shirt on yeah but she's like, hot and she said to me it's pins. the shortest shortest dress she's worn which was a t-shirt but, in years and it has a, an image of a woman who i wish to be yes that's the it. kind that's the kind of like stripper bitch i wish to be like that is that that's the vibe anyways it was just a hot moment. We were just posing, and then the photo yeah. happened. And then, but then she posted it. Oh, that was the more tame one. Okay. I know, but I readjusted the angle. But also, yeah. Tracy's very particular about what she posts, and she posted that image. It's I art, guess it's well, it's quite prideful. <laughs> it's punky too, though. She's it a is, real yeah. punk. She's a proper punk. Yeah. yeah. She's a real proper, you. proper 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 punk, and that like. That's what that is. It's a punky image. I hope it breaks the internet more it, and more. It and did. More. It, 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 yeah. Every day it's getting bigger, I Good. think. Um, so the other day in London, there was a, a tragic event that happened in the two brewers where two people got stabbed outside. Mm. And I actually weirdly thought of you when I heard it because I was thinking about um, you as a dancer in the clubs in London and how much that was part of your life at that point. Yeah. Like, is, how do you feel about the rise of all of that kind of thing happening? Because I feel like there's so much danger to us as a community. Yeah. Um... Like, sometimes it's easier to dissociate. Yeah. I don't know. That's maybe a gross answer. But, like, the... <sighs> I experienced a lot of violence at school mm. from kids, but mm. also from teachers. And then I experienced a lot of violence from the mental health system. So I don't know, like... I don't know how I feel about that other than like that that's what it is like i don't get i mean i don't get to feel about that mm. that's that's our that's that's like our reality mm. and i'm under no illusions that like i'm not like yay pride like i always say this like i'm not a rainbow gay i'm like a i'm like a dark gay i'm an emo gay i'm a techno gay whatever mm. like it's it, and I, I love i love rainbow gay but it's not really my 
understanding of our of our culture i understand that we need color and, and lightness but like maybe maybe valdiva is my understanding of of an element of our culture it's 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 hard it needs to be and and, and I, I know that like i know that there's sort of this like rhetoric of like oh but you know it's like okay to be gay right now and like things go in like circles it's not people are dying all the time people mm. people are still dying like i tried to take my life when i was a teenager the kid in the year below me succeeded at that i mm. did not mm. i'm lucky that i did not and i'm here but this is not like playing mm. Pe- people are coming for us and that sucks but i yeah i don't know i don't know like you know, clubland's risky, but it's. I guess. I guess you like learn to make your deal with the risk, and maybe that's why like queer people do their best to like live or show up, and that's maybe why people think we're extra because mm. you you best damn live your life because who knows what's coming? I don't know. It's yeah, like uh, it's kind of it's it's to- it, it can be totally bleak, but you can also flip that. Yeah. Like yeah, it su- It sucks. It sucks. I don't know. That's a total horrible thing to happen, but it, I mean, it's how many trans people have died this year? Like, I know, I know. you know, it's just and you, it's, you have a tattoo of Marsha, don't you, on your and Sylvia? Yeah, to remind me why I have rights. So Marsha oh. P. Johnson, Sylvia Rivera. I know there was more people. There's also Stormy Delave, oh. and basically like the Stonewall Queens. And I know that these are the people who have been noted in history, and that there will be many, many. Who more people yet. Yeah. who weren't remembered and who were a part of that but these are two i don't like marsh marsha honestly was describing herself often as up in drag so like the the sort of like um the trans language we have now didn't really exist there so i would say maybe gender non-conforming sylvia i'm pretty sure identified as a trans woman but these were two people who really pushed for queer lives to be valued. Like, um, you know, Sylvia Marshall opened Star House, which was basically like a house in New York to house homeless queer peoples and and ran for a long time. And even when it shut down and reopened, it ran in different ways. Like this, and, and, and okay, so Sylvia has this really iconic speech that she made at like year three or four of pride happening. Yeah. So like, uh, where basically like the assimilate the assimilationist gay males who had sort of Marsha Sylvia Stonewall that's what started pride right it was the Christopher Street Day Parade that's what started pride it was trans people it was drag queens it was club weirdos it was the it was the weirdos it was the outsiders it was not the 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 like so-called normal looking gays who started that shit it just wasn't like that and still isn't really like that but uh then pride took off and then like three years down the line they were pushing the drags and the trans to the back and sylvia basically like stormed the stage and delivered this you can watch it it's It's on youtube people are booing aren't they yeah and she's screaming out them and saying like you like she's like she's like um she's basically reminding people what pride is about She's like, people write star, is what she's saying. Like, people write star. People from prison are writing star, writing letters to star. People are, people who are really in need are contacting the trans people and the drag queens. And to, to assimilate and make things more, uh, 
palatable for the masses is death in many ways. You know, I'm sure we get to experience a lot of privileges of it now and maybe in the UK at least, like, although I do really struggle with the current politics. I have to dissociate. I don't read the news. I don't. I'd rather read philosophy. I'd rather speak to my peers Mm. because I don't think it's a helpful source. Where are the trans people in the trans debate? It's not a trans debate. It's a debate about people who you don't understand. That's not a debate. That's, That's crap. Sorry. I'm using strong words, but like that is not, that's not a debate. Mm. What you, it's a waste of voice. Mm. It's a waste of energy. It's a waste of space. Stop it. Talk about something that's relevant or, or also like, you know, like regardless of my stance on it, why wouldn't you use your energy to help people who are struggling? Mm. Like if there is a group of people who are statistically struggling, or if there's a group of people who are screaming, help, because they're struggling, why would you not help them? Like, that, maybe that's an autism thing for me. I just don't get it. Why would you not help? Why, why would you do anything other than help them? I agree. Why, why would you waste your energy criticizing or debating? And if you're feared up by something, talk about the fear, but understand where that fear comes from understand why you have the fear and then we might be able to work towards solutions but it's not going to happen whilst people are sort of like pouring noise over the white tablecloth of you know it's just not gonna it's not gonna work Mm. sorry (laughs) well said yeah it just makes makes it all the more important to be present and out and vocal and you know we've all got to be activists now and use our platform to just be there i guess when the opportunity arises but maybe like my counterpoint to this is like also value your introversy like value your recharging needs like value that if you're not a colorful outspoken person that you also have value but maybe in a different format and maybe like you can hold space for people who don't want to be like frontline fist pumping mm. people because because that's that that's the other that's, that's at least the other part of me and that's the part that I get I get really exhausted with with always doing the output mm. and maybe this is also relational to p- performance but I want to find other ways to exist that are also uh, useful and fruitful mm. that are not frontline or not not so exhausted for the kind of person that I am mm. yeah. Well, on that note, <laughs> let's talk about an artwork you'd steal. Uh, if you could steal any artwork in the world, your art heist, yeah. for yourself, yeah. what would it be and why? I'm going to break the rules because it's not technically an artwork, but Ooh. it's Holes 1995 MTV Awards of performance of Violet. Really? It's the I best, love Violet. The best. That and or uh, uh, Radiohead doing Creep at the MTV Beach House. Like, those two things are the things that charge me These up. are both on YouTube, right? They're both on YouTube, but, like, if I could own them as, like... I would not own them, I'd have to share them. But, like, if there was a thing that I could uh, steal, yeah, they're, they're the two most, like, exciting things that I could watch before making anything. 
I love that. Yeah. Russ and I just drove to Edinburgh and I played him the album Live Through This in, on that journey. Because I was me all the facts and everything. I was giving him all the Courtney facts because I love Courtney Love. How was it? Amazing. We're just hearing Rob. Rob knows all the kind of nuances of everything. So he'd be like, oh, she's copied this person and this was when they were hanging out with them. And they think this person wrote the album. But actually, they might. Have, it was brilliant. It was an education. Yeah, because I always feel like Courtney Love's got so much talent and people just always try and make out other people wrote her stuff when she wrote it she's so she's genius poet. she's genius she's sick and that album stands up to this day as it's, being one of the great albums of the 20th century of all time it's i mean i'm biased but it is it's a brilliant damn i wasn't expecting that i love that babe yeah love that and the other color uh, sorry the other color <laughs> the other, color the other we question ask. we ask every guest is what is your favorite color <laughs> it's like textures i can't like i don't like solid color I like glittery black. Mm. I like that glass that's got like a bit of green in it. You know, like not, it's not green glass. It's not like green bottle glass, but it's like clear glass, but with this like green tinge that makes mm, the I sort know, of like yeah, yeah, yeah. the light go a specific way. Yeah, yeah. Like an absinthe color. <laughs> yeah. No, no, it's minty, not. Like it's a... minty. It's not, ah. it's not um, that arsenic glass. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Right, it's not. Right. It's, um, Another one you mean? Glittery black, slightly green glass. I like white things. I just do. I do. I'm a sports goth. I like white things. A sports goth? Yeah. What's that? How much time you got? <laughs> oh God, well, People can Google show. it. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking of socks and underwear. Oh, right. Maybe. Is it? Uh, Maybe not. No, sports. It's just, like, it's just like the energy of a goth, but in sports, but kind of five, no? Anyone oh, I see. else? Okay. <laughs> Does anyone else know a sports I, I goth? Th- I thought Does you it? meant more like... You've no. got a moment Karen, of sports goth sports, Are you a sports goth? <laughs> I doubt it very much. <laughs> what is the best advice you've ever received? When it comes to your art. <laughs> She's not sat here anymore. Lindsay told me to... Um, and Lindsay's your art mum, by the way. You've Lindsay's described her as... Lindsay's my art mum. Yeah. Lin- Lindsay... Oh, God. Lindsay, like literally messaged me on Instagram once and was like, I can't wait to be best friends. <laughs> so she'd already decided it was happening. And, the, and then we, you know, we, we had an exchange of eyes at Medway service station in M&S Simply Food and the rest is history. But um, I always stop at Medway. It's, I love that. It's an inspiration. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> except when M&S is closed, which has happened to me oh, numerous yeah. times. Oh, yeah, but so then sorry. you get to sort yeah, of like you. write poetry in the dark. Trauma. And the, yeah. Mm. Anyways, um, I was making the handbags for the show and, uh, Lindsay was like, babes, you need to try harder. And, and I, she's going to hate me for saying this, but it, was, it really mattered. I think that I've been scared for a long time to, to do this, to try harder. I've been jaded and sat back and exhausted and all these sorts of like boring block-based un, uncreative things. You know, I've, you know, I've, I've, I've danced for forever and, and, I guess like I've been talented, but I don't know, like I've tried hard in terms of training, but I don't know how much I've like hustled or something. Like I'm not a great hustler. So when she told me to try harder and also because that's what she does, she is always doing something new. She's always pushing it further. She's always, and not in a sort of like, I'm going to push it further kind of <laughs> way. She's just doing it and watching her do it and then her telling me something that I know damn well is true because I watch her do it was like really good fire for me it was it was tasty fire so yeah it was just it was try harder (laughs) well there's a quote that you've got uh you say about Margate where you say let's art this town into ecstasy and I think 
When did I say this? I don't know. I found it somewhere. And I think that is <laughs> that is perfect. I think that's what you're doing. I think the community here, queer community, art community, I think that is what is happening. And I think you're definitely really good energy. Sweet. Thanks. Thanks thank so you. much. <laughs> well, thank you so much. And for everyone listening, they can find you on Instagram. What's your Instagram handle? At artpornblog. Artpornblog. Yeah. Which I also learned is no longer your email. I've been giving no, the so wrong one. So anyway, um, yeah, and um, we're at Talk Art. We'll be posting images and you can also go to At Quench Gallery and see the show. And we look forward to seeing your show in December. And yeah, check out we, make it now. Yeah. <laughs> check out we present and we transfer because they'll also have images of Ted's work and films, hopefully. Uh, so we'll be back very Let's soon. Let's get a round of applause. Thanks for everyone. Ted Thanks Thank for you. listening. Bye. Thank you, Ted. <laughs> You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamond and Russell Toby. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode with music by Jack Northover. Subscribe to Talkart at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening.